think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're gonna throw me out of here, fellas. You're gonna get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors, or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 359 of Low Limit Football on this 4th of June, 2022. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, the great Carlos Tevez calls it a career. 683 matches, 250 goals, and 27 titles for both club and country. Italy is the latest victim of Argentina in the in a 3-0 victory in the Finalissima, bringing Argentina to within five games of Italy's record unbeaten streak and giving Leo Messi his second international title in just 11 months. And upsets abound at the UEFA Nations League. We're going to discuss those and much, much more with our very special guest, Mr. Martino Puccio from the State of Play podcast and The Athletic will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? I'm well, Joe. I'm well. Obviously, we're heading straight into the international break. It, it's weird having to go into this kind of summer of, of a World Cup year with no World Cup yet. But nevertheless, uh, there are some games happening. And I think it's, it's interesting to see some of the results that have occurred. Also, I guess to really show the state of play for a lot of these teams before the World Cup starts. In a couple of months, yeah, we're gonna get a we're gonna good a good taste as to what the, what's going on with them and, uh, and and really kind of feel them out. Really interesting to see what happened with Belgium, right, uh, against the Netherlands, uh, France falling apart at the end there uh, against Denmark. Uh, obviously, rejuvenated Christian Eriksen, which is great to see for sure. So there's there's some interesting Nations League things going on that are going to show us maybe a little glimpse into what the future looks like for the World Cup in Qatar when we get there in November. Um, also, some of the friendlies that we're seeing coming over here in the United States, with the U.S. men's national team, Morocco, um, Mexico, just really taking it on the chin against Uruguay. Uh, we'll see what the U.S. men's national team can do with Uruguay coming up on Sunday. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's certainly some, some telltale signs coming up here this week. So um, this week we don't have any trivia question. We're going to bring that back to you probably in the next week or two as we kind of piece these shows together leading into our little break here in July. Um, so let's hit some opening thoughts, my friend. And we wanted to take a quick little look at the transfer uh, window this week. Because there, there are a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of stories. Um, there's a lot of talk. 
Uh, a couple of things that we probably want to talk about. Let's start with Sadio Mane. You and I started to talk about this a little bit as uh, as as you know before we came on the air because Sadio Mane uh, has pretty much said he wants to leave Liverpool. There is, I believe, a three-year offer on the table from Bayern Munich um, that he has agreed to, but uh, Bayern and uh, Liverpool need to agree on the fee for the transfer still. There is talk of, uh, you know, Mo Salah has decided he's going to stay at Liverpool at least one more year. Uh, there's the Romelu Lukaku, uh, inf- you know, stuff coming out where Bayern are interested in him. He's interested in going back to Inter Milan. Um, there, there's a lot of moving parts. I want to start with Sadio Mane, though. Um, you know, obviously not entirely the way uh, Liverpool ended the season, right? That's not the way they really wanted to do it, but this is the way it ended up happening for them, uh, losing in that Champions League final to Real Madrid last week. Uh, with Sadio Mane, is this the right thing for him to do to go to Bayern Munich, maybe start over again, start with a different team? And what does this mean for Bayern uh, in terms of their system, especially now that Lewandowski is possibly going to Barcelona? Yeah, that, that's it. I, I think obviously you don't have, well, in Liverpool's case, I think that really secures Luis Diaz's future, um, obviously, and being a, an undisputed starter. Now, obviously, Liverpool have that depth and the attack to, to really perform well, and you saw that kind of rotation that Jurgen Klopp likes to do. Now he doesn't have to have that issue anymore because he has the likes of a of a um, Luis Diaz, a Mo Salah, Diego Jota, and a, and a Firmino, for example, that can able to perform well and, and really be consistent in that end. As for Sadio Mane's case, I mean, yeah, he's what? 30 at this stage I think he's still got you know a couple great years ahead of him and then obviously wants to to utilize that in the best way possible obviously Senegal are are playing in the World Cup in a couple months and I think he wants to be the main man who wants to be the star player wants to be in the best shape possible so for him to go to a Bayern Munich side that obviously I guess it, it wouldn't be really a downgrade. Well, maybe from the league perspective, but still, it's a top team, one of the best in the world. So I think you see him being the main star. I think obviously with the likes of Lewandowski leaving and him possibly going to Barcelona, I think that changes what Nagelsmann wants to really utilize. The fact that Mane's not a a natural striker. He could play as one, but he is mainly a winger or, or any sort of attacker. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, work and work well with each other. So no, I think it's um, I think it's a good move for him. I think he's still a talented player, and I think yes, if he wants to be rejuvenated in that sense, then I think credit to him, yeah. credit to him to do that. And I think if he's able to do that, one of the best teams in the world, where he could potentially win another Champions League, then I say credit to him and credit to his career for him to to be in the best shape possible at a at a big club like Bayern. And it would be a big, a massive feat to win a Champions League there, you know, after having won a Champions League with Liverpool uh, just a couple of years ago. So that would be certainly, uh, you know, a, a feather in the cap of Sadio Mane. I want to bring up one more transfer rumor that's coming up um, that is, you know, by reports virtually done. And the reason I want to bring this up, because then I want to lead into Martino Puccio and, and our talk of the Finalissima. And that was Angel Di Maria. Um, he's pretty much said his goodbyes at PSG. The rumor is he is going to Juventus uh, on a free transfer. Juve also uh, rumored to be finalizing their deal with Paul Pogba. And and many were looking at these two rumored moves and saying, you know, oh, why would you bring 30-plus-year-old uh, midfielders into the team when you're trying to get younger at Juve? We've already been down the older path. But 
Angel Di Maria this week in the Finalissima showed you exactly what he's capable of doing. He was, he was, I think he was man of the match. I don't know if he was officially man of the match, but for me, um, he was as good as Leo Messi uh, uh, during the midweek. And if that's the Angel Di Maria that comes to Juve, that's a massive, massive move for Juve. What were your thoughts on the Di Maria potential move to Juventus um, and how he played in the Finalissima this week? Oh, I like it. I like him. I think he's always been a quality player. I think he saw that in Argentina. Messi was the man of the match. But yes, Di Maria, I think he got the goal, obviously, in one of the matches. I think he's just been such a vital player for Argentina in the last few months. I think he's he's definitely shown that even in his advanced years, I think he was 34 or something. So I think he he definitely is someone that still has quality. I think him going to a team like uh, Juventus might suit him, depending on how Allegri uses him. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like it. I think he's, he has something to prove. And the same thing for Pogba, who I think has just been kind of a, of a, um, of a lame duck over there in, at Manchester United, that I think going somewhere that he knows well, where he had his most success as a player individually, I think going there would, would be great for them. And, and certainly I think the question will be is how they'll be able to work together, what kind of formation will they use, will Di Maria be suited as a winger, or is he going to be more of a player that has to track back or something like that in his advanced years. So mm-hmm. I'm curious. But, no, I think you have two players that are quality in the way that they play. Di Maria gets you goals, gets you assists. Pogba is a player on his day. is very much he can control the game. He could really be that player that can really help Juventus move forward in the way that they play. So, no, I think overall, even though they aren't exactly young talents, I think Juventus can indeed look at this as, as a thing that could indeed help them. The question will be is who stays from that team that we saw in the last day of the season for them to, to really work well. Is this the case where Juve do need to go younger and do need to get new players, which I'm sure they have the potential to do so, or will this be something that just has to happen short term before going big um next summer or something well you know you, you something that we talked about before we started recording today um that i want to kind of it didn't cross my mind this way but i want to bring it i want to bring it back up because i want to put a different twist on it um we talked about paulo dibala real quick if you remember and with dibala uh you know all all things pointed to him going to enter that was pretty much a done deal you know he said his goodbye to the uve fans all this stuff he only wants enter you see this reports from semper inter and all these other places uh, since then, they have brought on Heinrich Mkhitaryan, and they are possibly bringing back Romelu Lukaku as a uh, you know on a loan from Chelsea because things are going sour with him and Thomas Tuchel. Is there potential, especially with his compatriot and Di Maria coming to Juventus, that DiBala actually doesn't about face and stays? I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna before you answer, I'm gonna say no. I don't think that happens. But my God, it looks like there's potential for that, don't you think? It it does seem like a big thing, uh, full of potential. But I just would look embarrassing on, mm. on Dybala's part, don't you think? I do, I do. And uh, you know, but but it's starting to get to a point where he's becoming a man on an island. Um, I know he's had some interest from Arsenal. I know he's had some interest from Atleti. Um, I know there's even been interest from Roma uh, as well. But uh, but right now. Everything points to Inter, but Inter seem to be, you know, courting other suitors at this point. And it's uh it's I think it's a touchy situation for Dybala. I think for him, for what would be best for him is he needs to get this done sooner than later. 
if he's going to enter. Otherwise, he needs to scrap the whole enter idea and move someplace and just really start fresh because it's really starting to get into that ugly window. And uh, and we definitely don't want that for La Jolla, for sure, um, you know, because he's a, he's a great player. So let's table our discussion of the transfer window uh, for now, and let's bring in Martino Puccio from The Athletic and the State of Play podcast. We had him on earlier. We got to continue our talk of the Finalissima, uh, talk of Italy, and we even touched on the U.S. men's national team. So without further ado, the Martino Puccio interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from the Athletic and the State of Play podcast, Mr. Martino Puccio. Martino, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. I want to jump into the Finalissima. Uh, I was on TalkSport this week, and I thought for myself that most both teams would probably treat this a little bit more like a friendly, but if there was a title on the line 10 minutes to go, this would be Lionel Messi's time. It turned into nothing like that. It turned into, uh, from the Italian side, the Giorgio Chiellini testimonial, and on the uh, Argentinian side, it almost looked like a warm-up to try and win a World Cup final. What were your thoughts on how one-sided this particular match was uh, midweek? Um, I think, um, I, I don't know who posted the lineup for Italy, um, but the second I saw it get released, I was like, all right, that's a 3 nothing victory. Um, I said messy hat trick. <laughs> just, just, that was more of a you know, pessimistic look at it. But the way Argentina has been playing, and I think the three of us talk about it often, myself, you, and uh, Roberto, about how different Leo looks uh, from club football to international football these days. Like the burst of acceleration he was having in this match is more than anything he did in France this season, and that includes the Champions League. So I think... If you're if you're Messi in Argentina and you could see the way they crowd around him after winning Copa America, even winning Finalissima this past week, is that they understand the type of pressure that Leo has on him and and who he has to chase after in terms of like a ghost who's Maradona. And this is really his last shot for it. So every single like game that has that type of atmosphere, I think they're just going to come at you. And I think they're going to do their best to try and win because, you know, it doesn't matter if this is kind of a Fugazi-ish third edition of this cup. It's still something that's recognized by FIFA. And they beat the Euro champions. And it doesn't matter if Italy came out with whatever the hell that lineup is. And I guess just waving goodbye to Chiellini. But I, I think what it shows is how versatile Argentina is compared to past years. And, you know, they were firing on all cylinders. And then when you bring Paulo Dybala off the bench, which I'm sure was especially rough for you to see, um, when he scored that goal, it was kind of like, wow, Argentina not only seems to understand how to use their offensive depth now, they have depth at multiple facets of the game in terms of midfield and defense. So I think this is just more of a testament of how good Argentina actually is. And, you know, it felt like there was a lot of disrespect for South American teams with the way a lot of Europeans were, or just European, you know, country fans were disrespecting Copa America and, and the talent level over there saying like, Oh, it's not impressive or easy to, or it, or it is easy to win Copa America because the level of competition is low. And it's kind of like, well, if you actually kind of watch those games, those are not easy. They're twice as physical. They're a lot more chaotic. Um, and just the overall environment, if there's fans or no fans, it's, it's not easy to do that. And they were, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the first teams to win a final in Brazil in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's all kudos to Argentina. And 
again, this is we're both Italian fans uh, and Italian descent. Like this is this is a long time coming with this, and especially when he put out that lineup. So I think personally, it was the most well deserved kick in the ass that Italy could have had happened to them. Uh, actually, Martino was actually the first time ever that our South American team okay. won in Brazil. So, yeah, it's even gotcha. more impressive. Exactly. Uh, For Copa America's final, correct? Or... Yeah, yeah, because Germany won the, the World Cup final in Brazil, correct. so that counts. Um, yeah, no, and, and, and now, Martino, looking forward to this Italy national team, obviously they have some warm games coming up uh, at the time of recording. They play Germany, they got Hungary, and they play England. Looking at the squad that Mancini has posted, and, and obviously this is a Mancini that comes in, obviously fresh out of getting out of the World Cup, not making it getting renewed for another four years. And looking at some of the players, you have a lot of inexperience, I would say. I mean, yes, you have some familiar names like always, but you do have some inexperience from the national team level. Even looking at some that uh, Mancini is looking at, at players like uh, Wilfred uh, Gendonto, who come from Zurich, even two players from Frosinone and Serie B. So I just want your thoughts, Martino, on like how Italy will now go into this kind of Nations League in these matches before... European qualification until the big tour next tournament in 2024. Just what is the your vision, I guess, and what do you expect from this national team uh, in these next few games? Well, you said it, 2024, man. It's a long time to try and figure out like who who you want starting, who who do you think is at this level? Because Joe tell you this, and, and we discussed this before. I think the Euros last season, it was. Okay, we think Bastoni for the future, maybe Bonucci as his partner for 2024, if he is still at that level, because that's still a couple years from now. Um, and again, it's just for me, the midfield isn't something of concern. I think there's going to be four to five guys that they're going to be able to rock with even to 2026. Um, for me, it's there's there's the Sassuolo guys that you need to get in the mix here and who I mean is Scamacca and Raspadori, these types of players. And, you know, Mancini at first was doing a good job of trying to find guys to see if they're capable of playing at this level. And I think that's really important because he sent five to six players home immediately. Um, guys like Bernadeschi, um, obviously Chiellini is heading over to the States and, and Los Angeles, but Having guys like that just, like, go home, take your long break for the season. If you're playing a part in 2024, it's either you had a fantastic improvement or guys like Jorginho need that rest. And, you know, what Kevin De Bruyne said, these are useless nation these games. So, for me, I think this is all about tinkering, figuring stuff out. And I think, uh, you know, just to go back to Fina Elysima for a second, I think more people were upset with that simply for the fact that, you know, that was – considered a final after and, and the reactions afterwards, it, it kind of felt even more embarrassing, but this is, you need to figure out who can play at this level and who can't, because what we saw towards the end of that tournament, they were just crawling to the finish line because you can't be playing immobile like that. And Sydney is heading to MLS. And usually the way the FIGC and like the whole Italian football federation works is, Hey, we're not really going to play yet if you're not in this country, unless you're Marco Verratti and, and Jorginho, I guess. Like, you move, you move out to MLS, that's pretty much it, buddy. So, I mean, Insigne, I don't truly see being there in 2024, so you need his replacement. Chiesa isn't there at this moment in time. You don't know if he's going to come back healthy. Um, Zaniolo with, I mean, Joe, I, I truly don't even know what the hell this is at that point <laughs> with him. <laughs> be leaving because of baby mama drama or yeah. because he's really hurt. Either of the two, 
are really bad because one, that's drama, or two, the guy who toured in two ACLs is having more injury issues at the end of a really long season for him. Um, so, yeah, I think this is all tinkering. And, you know, there were some people calling for Mancini to resign, and it's kind of like, who do you want? And then you're kind of like, yeah, good point. We don't have any great options. So, for me, I think this is kind of just a tinkering period, and a lot of people are not going to like it because they assume the expectation is to win, to beat Germany, to beat Hungary, to beat England again. Um, and there's going to be two losses and a draw, in my opinion, coming. And the draw is going to be against Hungary. I think they lose to England and Germany. But again, like Kevin De Bruyne said, these games don't matter. So um, might as well get something out of it, like identifying potential uh, stars or starters to come up in the next uh, couple of tournaments. Well, I, I would tell you, you know, I, I would actually argue with Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, I agree that for Belgium, these these games are quote unquote meaningless. You know, they're just prep games to get to the World Cup. But for Italy, this is it. This is this is what they've got in front of them. And you're right; these are the opportunities to kind of morph this team. Like you'd mentioned, Chiesa wasn't there. Um, the the FIGC thing, you and I could spend an hour on with uh, with Insigne. I mean, it, it's insane. Um, you know, you've got Zaniolo and like you said, baby mama drama with Zakani, which I, I think they were going to they, they were actually going to send him home at one point, if I remember correctly. That, that's a whole nother mess and a distraction that they didn't need. Um, we also forget about Spinazzola here, who's just coming back off of his uh, off of his Achilles. You know, for me, when I think back, uh, you know, 11 months ago to the Euros, Spinazzola was was the reason. Okay, when we when Spinazzola went down, that's when we struggled against Spain and we struggled against England because up until that point, nobody had an answer for him. He was playing his absolute best of his career and he was doing it at the right time. And since we had no replacement for him and nobody had an answer for him, that that's where Italy kind of lost a step. And I think they like you said, they kind of stumbled over the finish line. And they got there, um, whether it be because of Giorgio Chiellini's heart or whatever. I don't know, but. Um, you know, Mancini right now, I think, is living in a time when, like you said, there is no great re replacement for him, at least on the horizon. And he's also living off the laurels of winning that Euro. Um, I, I think that is something that has gone to his credit. And we'll have to see what this team does. But I think it's going to be telling, you know, like you said, bringing those Sassuolo kids up like Raspadori. We got we got to look at him at the finalissima, you know, Scamacca, Fratesi. I think those kids need to get their chances because I think they need to grow into those roles and not worry so much about, you know, a distraction of Zaniolo or what you're going to get from Chiesa coming back off his ACL. So I think I, I think these are important games for Italy. They might not be as important for Belgium, but for Italy, they are absolutely massive because they're going to lead into the next Euro. Um, I know we only have a few more minutes, Martino, so I want to I want to be mindful of your time and I want to come back to the United States and to the U.S. men's national team. Um, the U.S. was dominant over Morocco 3-0. Morocco, I think, had lost um, in the African Cup of Nations or, or up in like the last 10 years, only lost two matches total. And they were both in the AFCON and one of them was in the semifinals of the AFCON this year. Um, you know, this is this is a very good Morocco team. And the U.S. did a, did an incredible job in the midfield. They they dominated the game, three goals, um, and much of the focus afterwards has been on the comments Christian Pulisic made about how uh, there wasn't a lot of support. I, I've been listening to a lot of different radio shows and reading a few articles about this in the in the build up since then, and I, my concern is the 
the soccer federation, the USSF, what they're charging for these particular friendlies uh, in terms of a price is ridiculous. A 26,000-seat stadium, you only get 19,000 people in there. You have to ask why, especially when the majority are Moroccan um, fans, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you're looking at a $70 plus fees and taxes and everything ticket to sit in the last row of the stadium, I think that's a little ridiculous. And I think, I think Christian Pulisic has a little bit of a right to say, hey, you know, we wish we had more support, but I think he's got to point the finger at the Federation rather than the fans. What were your thoughts on that whole thing and how it transpired? I don't think it's ever a good time to call out fans when there's a lot of friction, I guess you could say, between, I don't know, I guess you could say the average fan and, and someone who roots for U.S. men's national team. I Let's, let's be frank here. Um, I think they have less fans than the women's team. So mm-hmm. I think they're already there's already that type of friction there with getting the general public. And this is just my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of friction between them and the general public to get to root for them. I know a lot of people who actively root against them and and don't really, you know, root for these guys. I, I, I think there hasn't been a great relationship between the two. Maybe that has something to do with them playing abroad. And you know what? They should still play abroad. This isn't me advocating for them to stay in MLS. No, go to Europe. This is the best we've ever been talent-wise, so keep going there. Um, but for me, I think it's like he, it's a lose-lose situation for him. You call out the fans, you look bad. You call out the Federation, it's the Federation, and we know how they work because it's pure nepotism on how they hire their manager. Um, and also at the same time, listen, you talk about prices, talk about you know your father, you see what the prices are to play in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, there is definitely fiscal issues, uh, whether or not I know how the structure works. I do know this. I think it's far too expensive relative to the rest of the world and especially how we operate in other sports in this country and especially when you just need your feet and a ball. And to me, I think it's just another whole thing that revolves into the culture. And that's something you you and I mentioned an hour on FIGC. I think the three of us could talk for you know, dozens of hours, to be honest with you, on on what goes wrong here and how they're building it so poorly. It's coming to the point to me that I think they're just trying to force people to like something that they want to like on their own, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I don't I don't think like jamming this stuff down their throat because like and also like how many times do we hear about them like say, oh, this city isn't great to go to. Oh, this one isn't awesome. Oh, this one's too close to Mexico. There's going to be too many Mexican fans. Oh, we need to put it in Ohio. Oh, wait. Yeah, there's um, there's more Hispanics in Ohio. It's like, yo, just deal with it. Get them to like the national team, because if you're likable and people want to root for you, they will come out and do so, because I don't see that issue with the women's national team. I think there's just there's just so much friction and whether or not these players deserve it, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I just think that there's a lot of issues culturally connecting a lot of people in this country to this men's team. Because again, 26,000 people and you're having issues. Like you're, pl- you're where, uh, what city was it again? It was Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Yeah. Okay. We literally have a stadium in Cincinnati called the Great American Ballpark 
for the Cincinnati Reds, and we're complaining about getting Americans into that stadium in Cincinnati, the same city, with a stadium named that. So you tell me what the issue is. Yeah. It's not about lack of Americans. It's about a, a lack of Americans wanting to root for this team. And again, I think this kind of falls back on, hey, every four years, people are interested. Um, yeah. And guess what happened uh, four years ago, guys? They didn't make the World Cup. So yeah, I, th- I think you lose interest. And I don't know. There's just... We're, we we grew up in in this country rooting for, you know, two two countries, I guess you could say, right. simultaneously, USA and uh, Roberto Wapervoi, and, and we root for Italy. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like there's not that same connection personally that I have with Italy that I do with U.S. men's national team, even though I watch them religiously and I will root for them to the very final minute. Mm-hmm. It's just there's a lack of oomph. Um, while rooting for them. And it's, and I think it's a collective effort from the Federation, from the top to the players, to the fans. I think everybody involved could do better. Um, but again, it's a lose-lose when you call out uh, the fans yet again, because it's like you went to how many different cities, how many different regions, time zones, and you're still having the same issue. I think it's beyond that at this point, you know? Yeah, totally, totally agree with you. Martino, thank you for coming on the show and joining us and, and giving us your thoughts on both Italy and the U.S. Um, always a pleasure to catch up with you, my man. And I've got to tell you, I kind of like the idea somewhere leading up to the World Cup that maybe the three of us get on here and have a little round robin about maybe even grab somebody for a fourth guest and uh, and doing a little, you know, U.S. men's national team beatdown uh, before we get to the World Cup. So if you're interested, you're hired because I think we should probably do that, man. Hey, man, uh, listen, I mean, that's pretty much all we're going to be doing with all the leagues stopping at that time. So, so might as well have me on for that. I appreciate you guys having me on, um, as always, um, on, the, on the weekends. It was good. Uh, made me feel nostalgic again, re-downloading Skype. Um, <laughs> I appreciate all the work you guys do. You're great. Um, enjoy the beautiful weather in the coming weeks. And um, both of your... Uh, Believe you're a Yankees fan, so enjoy that hot run that you guys are on right now. That we certainly will. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. And special thanks again to Martino Puccio for joining us on the show. Roberto, I want to continue our discussion of the U.S. men's national team and what happened there with uh, Christian Pulisic because I think it's an interesting topic overall. Um, you know, I, I understand where Pulisic was coming from in terms of calling out the, the Federation and saying, hey, you know, I, well, I think he wanted to call out the Federation. I think he just did it with a poor choice of words. Um, he calls out the fans instead of the, the Federation. But I think he's got a point. Uh, you know, I, I think that you've really got to make it affordable for families to come and see this. It's a midweek match. Uh, it's a friendly. There's nothing on the line. Um, whether there's a large Moroccan presence or not in the city of Cincinnati or the surrounding area or not doesn't really matter. You've got to make it accessible to uh, a common fan to get them to want to be there. Uh, that will start to grow the 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 love or the admiration of this American national team as they go to Qatar. I think this there's some fault here for the U.S. men's for the federation. What are your thoughts on one how it was handled by Pulisic and two the the situation as you perceive it? It's such a weird scenario because. I think there are so many factors in this. I, I even said it on Twitter. You know, it's a Wednesday at night. It's a friendly against. Yes, uh, nothing. No disrespect to Morocco. They are a big team and they are going to the to the World Cup. But it wouldn't be any different than them taking on like an Argentina or a or Germany or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. With that, because 
you know, that at that same stadium, you had USA versus Mexico, and it sold out. Again, different scenario, different circumstances. I totally get it. But I think you still have that interest. Yes, it took a while for them to bring that back because of them not making the World Cup four years ago. Mm-hmm. It's, um, and I'm not here to defend U.S. soccer or anything along those lines, but it is still kind of that gradual understanding that, you know, we're still in a scenario where you do have those issues of fans not coming to the games. Could it be those pricing uh, factors? Could it be interests, the way they play, the way they play? Just You know, there is that sort of division, you would say, maybe for some of the fan bases involved in U.S. soccer. So it's a weird scenario, but I don't think it's the end of the world in that sense. Now, obviously, I don't know what this, the, um, the crowds are going to be like. In the game against um, Uruguay, I mean, they are playing in Sporting KC. Mm-hmm. You would think that because it's a bigger team than Morocco, that you will get a sold-out stadium with like eighteen thousand or something at at a Charles Mercy Park. So Children's Mercy Park. So it's mm-hmm. like it, it could be just a one-time thing. I don't know, but certainly it's not. I would say the biggest issue, if we get what I'm saying. I was thinking about this over the last few days about it, but. I just, I think it's, I think Pulisic has every right to feel a bit critical because I think he wants the fans to come in. I think he wants to see that support like any team in the world. I think they want their fans to come in and support them and and enjoy how the team is doing, especially going into a World Cup and needing that kind of motivation. But I think there are certain factors in place that maybe he doesn't know that you can't blame him because you know he's not the one in charge of USM he's not he's not in charge of US soccer he's not um any of those guys in suits so certainly for him i think the case is just to enjoy what he has and and move forward if yeah. that if that makes sense so I, I i think you bring up a great point we're going to have to see what what uruguay turns out um tomorrow when uh, when they face each other in Kansas City uh, coming off the heels, first of all, remember, it's a Sunday match. So, you know, more accessibility for people instead of getting out of work and that sort of thing. Uh, also, the, one of the things I would hinder is, is obviously the the dollar expense, you know, being able to have the expenditure or the expendable money to go to a match. Uh, Sporting KC plays the day before, I believe, also um, at Children's Mercy Park. Last piece, the uh, the capacity of Children's Mercy Park is 18,500 fans. And the cheapest seat, which is actually not a seat, it's standing room only, $76. I'm looking at it right now. So, yeah, I just saw it here as well. Yep. So same problems, right, that we're going to see in Cincinnati or that we saw in Cincinnati. The question is going to be um, some of the similar problems. I'm sorry, not the same problems because midweek versus weekend, um, evening versus night, uh, that sort of stuff. But pricing-wise and capacity-wise, same thing. So it's going to be interesting, and I'm sure many eyes will be on this. How many people are in the stadium come Sunday night when Uruguay steps onto the pitch? Because Uruguay will be perceived as a bigger team, right? Uh, somebody that might have a, a team that might have a bigger following. You've got the Cavani's, you've got the Suarez's, you've got uh, a lot of, you know, Nico Lodero, which I don't think is called up for this. But no. th- but there are, you know, there are ties. that I think there are closer ties to Uruguay than there are to uh, to Morocco. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, how many people are in uh, are in the stands, and if it's a sold out crowd? So, uh, interesting stuff to to go through there, uh, my friend. Let's table that conversation and let's get to matches of the week because we've got a few of them, and we are a heavy schedule of of UEFA Nations leagues. 
matches, and obviously for good reason because there's some really big ones. So we're going to start off with Sunday, which we normally don't because we're recording this on a Saturday. But on Sunday, first and foremost, the final spot for the World Cup will be decided as Wales and Ukraine will take on each other at noon. Uh, The winner of that will go into the group with England, the United States, and Iran And we'll finally have our 32-team field, and we'll be able to finally talk about uh, our individual teams as we do our previews. After that, we're going to get Spain and the Czech Republic at 245 in the Nations League, and then that USA-Uruguay match at 5 p.m. on Sunday that we just mentioned. On Monday, Croatia-France, 245 p.m. By the way, all these matches are 245 p.m. in the Nations League. On Tuesday, Germany-England. Wednesday, Belgium-Poland. Thursday, Portugal-Czech Republic. Friday, Austria-France. And Saturday, England, Italy, all Nations League, all 2.45 p.m., a great match to watch every single day this week. So, Mr. Rojas, without anything left on the plan, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So, for episode 359 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Martino Puccio for joining us. Next week, we're going to recap the, the Nations League. We're going to look at that World Cup qualifier and see who comes out on top and give you any transfer news as it happens uh, during the week. So, for episode 359 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Vitor Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>